I just want to uh, say to, uh, to the church family, to Calvary, uh, my brothers and sisters that are with me uh, each Sunday and throughout the week, uh, I was, as I was getting ready and I was just kind of thinking about uh, just the past and being here and I just was just talking to Lord. I says, God, I am so grateful and so thankful, Lord, that that you've allowed me to be with these people, wonderful people, and, and just for the privilege to be able to stand before uh, wonderful people and share with them week in and week out the good news of Jesus Christ. And I just want to let you know I'm proud of you. I love you, and I pray God's blessing. I want to let you know myself as well as the pastors here. We pray God's very, very best for you here today. And I want to say to our guests and visitors who are here this morning, uh, we've been praying for you. Uh, I know I don't, I don't know exactly how you got here, uh, what the means were. Some of you maybe came because of uh, the Internet. You checked us out there, our website or the sign, or maybe someone was kind enough to invite you here to our service, and, uh, and you came. And it's no accident that he brought you here today. And there's a reason because he has something wonderful planned for your life. I know some of you are here out of town. You're visiting family and friends and you're here by no accident as well. And so we just want to let you know we're praying for you. And uh, we know to this day, the number one reason people go to church uh, to this time is people come to church and they gather because they want to experience God. And uh, that's when it really comes down to it, people are looking for something more. And I want to let you know, it, it's, it's this day, uh, the resurrection, the events uh, of this week and the Passion Week that really makes the difference. And I look at some of the paintings that are here on the stage that were uh, painted during our time. We had a service called Six Hours One Friday, and it was a time of worship and a time of prayer and one of our artists here uh, uh, was painting as the Lord had uh, led her in, in some of the things uh, that, that came about. But really, uh, we've been speaking about the last couple of weeks, what happened right here and, and right there. But we're, we're moving from the cross to, to this event because the gospel is not just about the cross. The gospel is about an open tomb, an open grave, and someone that had been risen from the dead. And this morning, you're going to see the difference how where Jesus came out alive and who is still alive and is at the right hand of God, interceding on your behalf to God, talking to God about you. I want to let you know that, God, that, that Jesus is having some conversations with God about you. We're going to look at that here in a little while. And so we look at here and we celebrate this day and the implications behind that. And so I want to take you to the gospel of Luke chapter 24. And as you're getting there, I want you to think about something with me. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, uh, we're going to have the scriptures uh, on the screen. You can go ahead and follow along with us. And by the way, if you don't have a Bible and you would like one, we have one next to the TV monitor there. And uh, you can go ahead and take one. But we would just encourage you, read it. I promise you it will change your life like it changed my life. 
But uh, as you're getting there to Luke chapter 24, uh, Luke is, uh, is a Gentile. He is, uh, he is uh, not one of the 12 disciples, one of the 12 apostles, but he is a, he is a, a, a doctor. He's a physician, but also he was a historian. Uh, I, I was doing some research late last night and, and, and people that wanted, uh, uh, scholars who wanted to go ahead and try to disprove the Bible. And they looked at the account of the Gospel of Luke and, and the events and the things that he wrote about. He, Luke is writing to a guy by the name of Theophilus. And Theophilus uh, was a man who, who came to know the Lord, but uh, he needed some teaching about the Lord. And so he funded this, this expedition of, of, he says, tell me what happened with Jesus. And, and Luke goes on this journey of investigating the life of Jesus and what happened, his birth, his teachings, the miracles and signs and wonders, and then the resurrection. And many of historians had said that the Gospel Luke, Luke was an absolutely awesome historian because when you look at the archaeological digs and things, he was absolutely spot on. So we're going to be looking at that scripture here this morning, but I want you to consider a question with me here this morning. I want you to think about something, and I want you to go back uh, in the history of your own life. I want you to think about this question. What event or events literally change the direction and the course of your life? What, what was, what was the, the event or the events that literally caused you to, to do an about face? You said, I'm, I'm going this way, but now I'm going this way. And, uh, and, and, and I want you to think about it. And, 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 it, and it, it was something that was positive in your life. And I know many of you here in this room can think of that. And, but I also know that there's people here in this room that, that there's been some life-defining moments uh, that were painful, some events that were really hurtful, uh, someone uh, that abandoned you, uh, left you, and, uh, and went to someone else. And, uh, and, and, and it changed how you looked at life. It changed how you looked at people. In fact, it maybe even changed how you perceived and looked at God. And, uh, and, and, and it sets you uh, in, in a negative path, in a negative way. And, uh, and I know there's people here in this room that you, you felt that, you know what's going on, man. You said, oh, this, this was hurtful. And, and, and you're still working through the pieces. You've been messed up in here. And I want to let you know that, that this event right here, Okay, for those that are hurt, okay, those that are going through a, a tough time, okay, and, and you're a mess, you're Humpty Dumpty who's fallen off the wall. I want to let you know that, that this event can literally change your life and put you back together here this morning. And, and I think of, a, and I can immediately think of, and I was just thinking about this, and, that, and there's three of them, and I'm going to save the last one for at the end, but there was, there's two that, that were just literally changed the course of my life. And, and, and one was, was meeting my, my wife, June. And, uh, and I just knew when I saw her at, at, that, that I had to be with this lady forever. And, uh, and so it was, it was a life-changing event for me. And by the way, we get ready to celebrate 30 years this coming uh, August. And, uh, and it changed changed how I did life and a covenant to do life together with someone else. But, uh, 
But and we got married in August, and it was uh, uh, just a few months later in the month of of December, uh, my wife sitting on the bed with a smile on her face and saying, guess what? Uh, uh, I'm pregnant. And, I, and, uh, and I'm going, oh, no, you know, I wasn't, you know, I, this was not a planned event. Uh, this was not in the cards. I had plans. I was going to go get my master's and, and going to school. And I'm going, oh, no, you know, and on, on the outside, I'm trying to put on a good face. But on the inside, I go, oh, no, now what do I do? But it was that event, that birth, okay, uh, that literally changed the course and direction uh, of my life. I probably would not be here today if it wouldn't have been for the birth and the time of that birth of, of our first daughter, Kelly. And uh, life-changing and, and, and absolutely for the better. Luke chapter 24, let me take you to the scripture of all scriptures that literally changed the course of history changed people's life. And we are still feeling the effects of this today. In Luke chapter 24, it says in verse 1, on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the woman took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They're going to, to where Jesus had been buried. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when, <clears throat> excuse me, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And while they were wondering about this, I want you to underline that word, wondering. It's a key word. About this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, by the way, those men were angels. Other gospel accounts gives an account who they were. And they said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead. He is not here. He is risen. Remember how he told you, okay, while he was still with you in Galilee. I want you to underline that word, remember, if you would hear this morning in your Bible. It's a key word. Remember, the Son of Man must be delivered over into the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. And when they came back from the tomb, they all told these things to the eleven and to all the others. And it was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, mother, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women. So they're coming back. They say, hey, Jesus, okay, is alive, okay. But because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb, Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away. There it is, that word, wondering to himself what had happened. They were wondering, starting off here with the, with the ladies, with the woman right here, wondering what happened. There's question marks that are going on. They, they walk into the empty tomb where Jesus had been laid. They, know, they knew that he had died, and they're thinking, where is he? Okay, where is he? Because we know he was dead, but now he's not here any longer. And some of you are here in the same boat, okay? These were ladies right here who believed in Jesus, believed that he was a good man and touched many people's lives. And, 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 and they're looking at it and they say, we know he, he's dead, but we can't understand where is he at? Where has he gone? Where is he? And some of you are here 
in the same boat. And you say, you know, I know about Jesus. I believe that he was in history. I believe that he was a good man. I, I believe he touched people's lives. He was a good moral teacher. But where is he? I, I, I see no evidence of him in my life. Uh, he really hasn't made a difference in my life. And I want to let you know that today that Jesus wants to show himself to you if you would be open to him. And it says right here that the angels told them, uh, and, and they're, they're here and there. The, these ladies are bowing on their knees. And, and then they say, hey, get up. Other accounts say, Get up and and this Jesus, you know, that you're looking for, he has risen from this grave. He's no longer here. Okay. Remember when he told you that, that he was going to die. And then three days later, he was going to come back again. Now, Jesus had said that many different times to his disciples and his closest followers. But I want you to catch this. This is really important. None of them, it never registered to them, okay, that Jesus not only would not die, but would come back to life again. They never, once they saw him die and heard that he died, they never, it, it never entered their mind that he's coming back again. No one expected Jesus to come back from the grave. But then the angel said, remember when he was talking to you about that? Remember he said he, he was going to die. He was gonna, and all of a sudden they said, yes, we remember and we know that they believed. And because of that, Jesus come, came back. It was that Sunday that changed everything. And so this morning, we're going to look at three questions. Here this morning, I want to look at when it comes to the resurrection, we're going to go ahead and answer is this. Why is, number one, the resurrection so important? Number two, what, make, what factors make it so believable? And number three, how does the resurrection change my life personally? How does it change people's lives personally? Now, I want you to look here at the, at the question, and I want you to add a word to this question that you have there on your outline. For those who are guests or visitors, if you would, you would have received a, a bulletin and an outline of the message uh, uh, in our notes, I want you to go ahead, for those who are here today, I want you to add a word because this is absolutely huge, okay? Here it is. Why is the physical resurrection of Jesus Christ so important. Now, I'm emphasizing the physical body resurrection of Jesus Christ. What's the big deal and why is it so important? Okay, came across these words, someone else had penned them, and it said this. If the resurrection is just merely a spiritual truth, it's a lie, and Christians are pitiful fools. If Jesus Christ did not come back from the grave, if he did not come back and visit the disciples, if, if he did not come back and have conversations with them and have food with them, and, and he was not able to be touched by Thomas, go ahead, put your hands on my nail prints, uh, hands right there and on my side. Go ahead and see and feel. If that didn't happen, okay, folks, okay, those disciples were sorely deceived. And if Jesus, okay, listen, if Jesus uh, just died and he wasn't physically resurrected, folks, we look like fools. Think about that, the implications. I mean, if, if he's not alive, he, he died. Now, by the way, just in case we, we have some agnostics and atheists in this room, and, and there may be, I don't know. 
But uh, here's what I want to say. If there's anyone here in this room, even the most ardent atheists believe that there was a Jesus who walked the face of the earth. The question is, uh, did he rise from the grave? And by the way, this is what separates Christianity from every other religion. It is this. It is the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. Others had teachings. Others had sayings. But Jesus' life was filled with power, with wonders, with signs and miracles. And he rose again from the grave. That's the separator from all the other religions. So if it didn't happen, okay, okay, if it didn't happen, we're, we, we look like fools. So logic says that. But not only does logic say that, so does the scriptures. I want you to go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. It's called the resurrection chapter. For those who are, 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 are here, you're, maybe you're a seeker. You're, you're not necessarily a follower of God, but you have some questions about Christianity and you're wondering, and, and you've you got questions. I want to encourage you to go ahead and to read this chapter and to carefully look it over. Paul, the apostle, the one who writes these words under the inspiration of, of the Holy Spirit. This was a man who had been a, a Pharisee. This was a religious guy who knew the Bible, the Old Testament, backwards and forward. He had, he had the very first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. He had it all memorized. And this guy was a teacher. This guy was a religious zealot. And, and, and when, when Christianity came out and Jesus had ascended into heaven and the church is going full force and it's exploding, it's going forth, Paul became a persecutor of the Christians. In fact, he was responsible for the first person being killed, Stephen, the first martyr. He was right there at his death giving approval of this. Okay, Paul has this amazing experience. It's called the Damascus Road experience. God reveals himself to him and, and he later becomes a follower of Christ. And, and I want you to see this word that was written by this radical follower of Jesus. He says, For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. Paul is saying, he says, I want to break the gospel down. I want to make it really simple. I want to distill it. He says, The most important thing of the gospel, what I've received, what, it, what is the most important thing that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. That is the gospel. That is the good news of Jesus Christ. Okay. He was killed, buried, and resurrected. And then he goes down to verse 14 and he's, and he's talking to, to Christians right here and he's talking to some people right here and, and he wants to bring some encouragement. And he says this, and if Christ has not been raised, if he's dead, okay, if he hasn't, if he, if he's still dead, he, he's still dead, then all our preaching, it's useless and your faith is useless. Okay, so he's not only talking to the Corinthian church, he's talking to Calvary's church as well. He says, and we apostles would all be lying about God for we have said that God raised Christ from the grave, but that can't be true if there is no resurrection of the dead. And if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is useless and you are still guilty of your sins. In that case, all who have died believing in Christ 
are lost. And here it is. Here's the clincher. And if our hope in Christ is only for this life, we are all the more to be pitied than anyone in the world. So Paul is saying, he says, man, it, it, we're fools. If, if, if this resurrection thing didn't happen, he says, we're, we're all fools. And I want to just kind of go through four things. If Christ hasn't been raised, I want you to write these down and fill in the blanks and, and go ahead and look at the scriptures next to them for yourself. Number one, if Christ hasn't been raised, Christianity is just wishful thinking. Okay? Following Christ is just wishful thinking. No, there's no value in trusting a lie, no matter how sincerely you trust in it. Okay? You trust in a lie and you hope that you have different circumstances, it won't work out. Lies don't work out, no matter how sincere you may be. Okay? Uh, do we have that up here, Alex? Okay. Wishful thinking. No matter how bad you want it, it just ain't going to happen. Okay. So number two, Christ hasn't been raised. It's wishful thinking. Here's the other one. The Bible is a lie. The Bible is a lie. Um, there's a lot of people have made this comment. The Bible, and, 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 and this is their argument for not following Christ, for not following Christianity. And they just say that, well, the Bible is just something that was written by man. Okay. And, and many of the people who have made that comment that I've talked to through the years really have never studied the Bible for themselves, uh, really have never investigated the claims of Christ and Christianity and what the Bible has said, really have not really looked it over. And basically what they're saying is if the Bible is just written by man and it's not inspired by, by God and, and the Holy Spirit, okay, basically what's going on, this Jesus, okay, Okay, and the apostles, you know, the, the ones that wrote the New Testament, basically, they're liars, okay? Basically, if, if that's the truth, if the Bible was just something written by man and it's not truth, then, then Jesus is a liar, the apostles are liars, and they're not good men, okay? Because I've, I've talked to people, what do you think of Jesus? And uh, what do you think? Well, he was a good man. Okay, well, what do you think of the statement when Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man gets to the Father except through me. Now, that's either a true statement or a false statement. And, and so if, if it's a true statement, that makes him a good man. But if it's a false statement, it makes him evil and wrong. So basically when people are saying, that they're, they're having to say this, that the apostles and the writers of the scriptures, especially in the New Testament, let's see how many people that we can fool to believe in this hoax. Was the scriptures written for the purpose to go ahead and fool people to, go, to believe in a false hope? Abso in my opinion, absolutely not. So, uh, so if Christ hasn't been raised, Christianity is wishful thinking and the Bible is a lie. Number three, heaven has no vacancies. Paul was a, was, a, was a believer in Jehovah God. And here uh, we find out that if Christ hasn't been raised from the there, there's no vacancy in heaven for those who call themselves Christians. And number four, Christians are pitiful fools. We're not just wrong, but we're, we're pitifully wrong. The Bible says people outside of these doors who don't believe in God and 
and, and it's not true. Those people outside of these doors that are, should feel really sorry for us. That's what he's saying right there. And uh, he says we're, they should be really felt sorry for. But this morning, I want to go ahead and shift here for, for the purpose of what, what makes the resurrection so po- important. I want to go to the next question. Of what are the factors that make the resurrection so believable? That, that it literally changed the course of history. What makes it so believable? Here it is, right here on the screen. I, I want to invite you to write down this statement. Faith is not believing the unbelievable. It's acting upon the evidence. Faith is not, okay, is not believing the unbelievable. It's acting upon the evidence that we have before us. And I want to just state this. God has given evidence of himself to every single person here on planet Earth. Okay, Romans chapter 1. Just the creation of this world screams that, that, that there was a creator, there was a designer who put this Earth into place. Here in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, I want you and I to know the conditions and how we can please God and how we can also know, know God. And it says this, and it says, and it is impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists. Okay, that's, that's an important one, but here's the second part, and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. For those who are here today, who are who are struggling and, and 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 wondering about the existence, wondering about Jesus, I want to encourage you. Look at the evidence. Be open. Don't be closed-minded here. Now, what is faith to a lot of people? It's here. It is. It's they they think it's well. I have to believe in the unbelievable. I have to check my brains there at the door when I come to church. You know, I have to go ahead and, and it just does, it just doesn't make logical sense. But I want to tell you this. God never asked us to believe in the unbelievable. He asked us to believe the evidence and the signs given and then to act upon those. So we're going to look at three of those here this morning. Some factors and some proof that show Jesus has indeed been risen from the dead, okay? So we put our faith in these and in Jesus. Number one, the historical evidence. Number one, here it is. There were lots of witnesses to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. There were a lot of people that saw the physical body of Jesus Christ after he rose from the grave. Here, if you're there in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, keep your finger right there. Look here in verse 5. It says that, He was seen by Peter, that was one of the apostles, and then by the twelve, and after that he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time, most of whom who are still alive, although some have died. Then he was seen by James, okay, that was his brother, and later by the apostles. Last of all, he, as though I have, I saw him as though I have been born at the wrong time, I also saw him. That's Paul the apostle speaking right here. So there were lots of eyewitnesses, okay? Basically, you do not write something down if they're still, uh, if they're still alive, okay? You wait for the witnesses to die off. And then you go ahead and you write. But this was written a short, shortly after Jesus Christ had been risen from the dead. No one refutes that people claim to see Jesus after his death. 
burial, and resurrection. And by the way, because of the eyewitnesses, this is one of the reasons, not the only reasons, but one of the reasons, the resurrection, why the church exploded. It grew. It just blew up. I mean, it just, it exploded. Many people were coming to Christ. Number two, many scholars believe that this is one of the most compelling evidences that Jesus rose from the grave was the empty tomb. Okay, there was no one in there except the angels and the ladies and Peter and John that went into there later on. Okay, now that doesn't mean he was raised from the dead just because there was an empty tomb. But we know this, the Jews and the Romans so had no motive to steal the body of Jesus. Jesus, we know that, that, that the, the burial cloths that were wrapped around him, okay, the Gospel of John says that these were, were folded up, okay, in a nice, neat pile. It's hardly something that a grave robber would go ahead and do. They would just throw them away. But I want to take you to what I believe is the most compelling evidence of all. Radically changed lives. Why I believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I'm, and, I'm, and I'm one of those people, a radically changed life because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, we ask this question, where are the apostles? Where are they? What's going on? We, we know this, that the apostles had made a promise to Jesus. They vowed. Jesus is saying, you know what? I'm going to be killed. I'm going to the cross. And I'm going to go through all this pain. And, and they say, you know what? Hey, we're going to be there with you, Jesus. We're going to stick with you. And, and, and Peter says, you know what? I'm even willing to go ahead and die with you, Jesus, and die for you. Well, when it got to crunch time and when they came for Jesus, they scattered, okay? And, and in fact, one was scattering so fast that uh, we find the first streaker in the Bible. His name was Mark. He was trying to get away with his life, okay? He was scared. And then, uh, and then Peter, I mean, he, he runs away. But later, the resurrection happens. Jesus, it says in John chapter 20, he walks literally through a door. And he says, peace be upon you. And he breathed on him. He says, receive the Holy Spirit. He says, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And here they see Jesus. And after seeing Jesus... And then Jesus ascending into heaven, they have a prayer meeting. The Holy Spirit comes down upon them, okay? They see Jesus, the Holy Spirit, okay? Then they become witnesses of Jesus. Their lives were changed forever. Now, I'm going to take you through a couple scriptures. I want to take you through a progression of things, what happened. They were preaching about Jesus. They, were, they would go to the temple, tell people that Jesus was the risen one. He was the Savior. He was the Son of God. And, and people were coming to Jesus. And, and, and people were getting saved by the thousands. But the religious community, the Sanhedrin, okay, made up of Pharisees and Sadducees, were becoming jealous. They were wondering, what's going to happen to us? Okay? And so they called the apostles on the carpet. And I want you to go with me to Acts chapter 4, verse 18. And it says, They called the apostles back and commanded them. This is a religious community that helped put Jesus to death. And commanded them never again to speak or teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, Do you think God wants us to obey you rather than him? We cannot stop telling about everything we have seen and heard. Okay, they, they were at a point, they said, listen, we can't help ourselves. 
we saw something. Not only did we hear something, but we saw something, and we've got to tell people about it. What did they see? We're going to get there in just a moment. So here they are. They go ahead and, and they begin, they've been ordered, don't preach anymore in, in the name of Jesus. Well, they don't listen. They're called on the carpet again. They had, God had used them to bring a, a blind, uh, I mean, a, 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 not a blind beggar, but someone who was, could not walk, and they uh, brought healing to this man. And there was controversy that was stirring there at the temple. They were called on the carpet again. And Peter and the other apostles replied, this is to the religious community, we must obey God rather than human beings. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed by hanging him on a cross. So here they are. They give an answer back to what's going on. They, they have a holy huddle together, the religious leaders. What are we going to do with these guys? What are we supposed to do? So they, 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 they dismissed them, and then they called the apostles back in, and it says they had them flogged. Okay, now This was not fun, folks, to be flogged, to be whipped, was something that was tremendously painful. In fact, it killed people. It was so vicious at times. It says, and then after that flogging, they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus, and then they let them go. And it says, the apostles left the Sanhedrin. Look, look at this. They're rejoicing because they have been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. And day after day, in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. Now here's the question that I want to pose to those who are struggling with Jesus and his resurrection. What caused them to obey God, to take a beating, and then to rejoice in it? Now remember this. They have been with Jesus for three years. They heard his teachings. They saw his miracles. Okay? But it wasn't good enough in crunch time. When it really came down to like, okay, are we really well, willing to die for Jesus? Uh, at the end, they weren't. But when, here it is, it was the resurrection that sealed the deal for them. They say, we know, we, we know that he died. He's been gone for three days and now he is alive. And it was that life-changing event where they were willing to go ahead and put their lives on the line. There's a fellow uh, by the name of Charles Colson, Col Chuck Colson. He has now died and passed away. He was a, a lawyer, a former lawyer uh, in the Nixon administration. How many ever heard of the event called Watergate? Anybody ever hear of that? Uh, it happened back in the 1970s. Uh, for those who don't like history and like politics or anything like that, just indulge me for just a few moments. Uh, uh, him and, and some other men... Uh, had did some had done some illegal activity, and they tried to cover it up on behalf of the president. Okay, and so they conspired together. They say this is our plan. This is what we're going to have to do. And basically, they they were going to lie. They were going to go ahead and tell the investigators and the people that were asked the questions. This is what happened. And so they have this fib and they have this lie, and it began to disintegrate. Chuck Colson, who was not a follower of Christ at this time, and another fellow went to prison and, uh, uh, for this incident. And it was there in prison, this lawyer, a very powerful man who had the ear of the president, okay, became a follower of Jesus Christ. And because of the resurrection, he was majorly changed. And, and the reporters through the years would ask this question. 
they would ask, they say, Chuck, what was the biggest lesson that you learned out of Watergate and the incident and everything that happened? And here's what he says. He says, it proved to me that Jesus was resurrected from the grave. He says, what happened to me and what happened at Watergate? It proved to me that the resurrection is absolutely true. And I want you to see the statement here on the screen right here, what he writes. He says, I know the resurrection is a fact. And Watergate proved it to me. How? Because 12 men testified they had seen Jesus raised from the dead. Then they proclaimed that truth for 40 years, never once denying it. Everyone was beaten, tortured, and stoned, and put in prison. They would not have endured that if it weren't true. Watergate embroiled 12 of the most powerful men in the world, and they couldn't keep a lie for three weeks. You're telling me 12 apostles could keep a lie for 40 years? Absolutely impossible. Amen, Chuck Colson. Amen. Amen. Changed lives. Proof. There he is, Jesus. Conversations, eating with him. So I want to go to, to a next question. We're really... We, we're looking at why is the resurrection so important and what are, uh, what are the evidence. And by the way, I just hit a couple of them. There's a number of different evidences. I would encourage you for those who are just saying, well, the Bible is just kind of written by man. I would encourage you to go ahead and, and Google it and just say, what does the resurrection prove and what is the evidence uh, behind the resurrection and the Bible? And I want to encourage you to go ahead and take a journey and to see what, what the word has to say and the evidence behind it. But I want to go down to the last question here this morning. I want you to turn your sheet of paper over there. I want you to go to the back in here. And I want you to look here. How does the physical re- resurrection affect me? How does it affect us? What difference does it make? Why is it so important? What is the, what is the evidence behind it? What, why does it really matter? I want to talk to you about three things real quickly. And then we're going to be praying. And, and I want to let you know at the end of the service, we're going to be praying that those who don't know Jesus, those who have not encountered the Lord ever in their life and would really like to experience him, we're going to give an invitation for you to receive Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. We're going to pray for people here today at the end of the service that are going through a tough time. Part of the, the hope of the resurrection is no matter what you're going through, it's not over. There's hope for you. The resurrection points towards hope no matter what you and I may be facing. But let's look at all. Number one, what is a rec- why does the resurrection matter to you and I? How can it make a really a big difference? Number one, it gives us a new perspective of death. People's view of death, okay? Uh, it's far-ranging. For a lot of people, there's a lot of people who fear death and they dread death. There are people in here, I mean, you look at the mirror you feel the effects of what's going on in your body. You're 40, you're 50, you're 60, you're 70 years old. You're just kind of going, oh, man, you know, I, I'm not looking forward to this. You know, I'm not looking forward to going through, you know, what may be happening in my last hours. And, and I, I, just to even think about that is a morbid thought, but it's real in it. And it happens to you often. And, uh, and some of you are here in this room when it comes to death. You live with fears. And some of you are, are scared to die. 
But I want to tell you that Christians who are followers of Christ and know Him, have encountered Him and experienced Him. I, I have found this out. Been around their sides, whether in hospice or in hospital rooms, uh, getting ready to, to meet the Lord, being at, at the most peace and still having joy in the midst of what's going on. I want to take you to a scripture in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14. It says, since the children are made of flesh and blood, it's logical that the Savior took on flesh and blood in order to rescue them by His death. By embracing death, taking it onto Himself, He destroyed the devil's hold on death and freed all who cower through life, scared to death of death. And the Bible, I mean, wants to let you know, and God's Word wants to let you know, He wants to free people who are afraid to die. And what does that? And the Bible wants to make it very clear that, that when your body dies, it's not the end of the story. It, it, in fact, the beginning, if you become a follower of Christ and you come to know Him, it's just the beginning. You're graduating into a new phase of life. In fact, this is a scripture that I read at a lot of funerals. In fact, if I do your funeral, if your family and your loved ones are there, I'll probably read you this this scripture. And it's a scripture that Paul the Apostle wrote down and and, and sent to the Thessalonians. The, The people were wondering, what happens to us when we die? Where do we go? What's going to happen? What, what's the effects? And Paul the Apostle wants to encourage them. And he writes this down. He says, brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death. He's talking about those who, who have been Christians who had died and, and, and described their death like, a, like sleep. So they do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. People who don't know the Lord... Don't know God, have no hope. This is it. Nothing else is going to happen. But we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus Christ those who have fallen asleep in Him. According to the Lord's own word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not perceive those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord Himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. It's a good place to be. He's talking about heaven right there. And he says, he says you know what? Go ahead and encourage one another with these words. I would say to those who are afraid of death, who meditate on this, who meditate on on how am I going to die, what's going to happen to me, I want to encourage you to begin to think about Jesus coming back. I want to encourage you uh, to think about that when you die, that you, if you are in a relationship with him, you're born again, that you will be with him forever. Heaven. Forever, okay? So it, it gives us... I, I also want to let you know, if you have loved ones who loved Jesus, you get to be with them as well. That's a comforting thought as well. So it's not the end of the story, okay? It's just the beginning. Number two, what does the resurrection do for us? It gives us hope to never give up living right, okay? 
Bible says, find out what pleases the Lord. Without faith, it's impossible to please the Lord. Find out what pleases the Lord. There's things that we do that please God. There's some things that we do that don't please God. The Bible also talks about that our lives, describes our life, that whatever we sow, okay, we'll reap. So if we sow, okay, destruction, selfishness, sin, greed, whatever, we there there is a reaping not only in this life, but a life to come. Okay, so if we live for just ourselves, we don't have a savior. And, I mean, we're going to a place, and it's and it's an eternal place, and it's called hell. It's not a comforting thought, is it? But it's a reality. And in fact, it, 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 it's so scary. I almost don't believe it, but the person who talked about it the most was Jesus Christ Himself. But it says right here that 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 if we we will reap what we sow, but if we don't listen to our selfish desires, we live according to God's word and God's way. There's a reaping. We we position ourselves for our lives to be blessed, and we we position ourselves to go ahead and receive rewards from the Lord. By the way, I just want to let you know we're going to get here at the end of this. You don't get to heaven. By the way, you don't get to heaven by your good deeds. You get to heaven based upon what he did for you on the cross. But Paul, I want you to see how this, this right here made a difference in how he thought about life and how he lived life. Listen to what he said here in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 32. He says, it's resurrection, resurrection, always resurrection that undergirds what I do and say, the way that I live. If there's no resurrection... If nothing happens, we just die and that's all there is to it. He says, let's go ahead, eat, drink, let's party, let's be party animals, let's just go for it. If there's no, there's no life after death, let's just go for it. But he says, no, that's not the truth. He says, it's the resurrection that undergirds how I think and how I live my life. It causes me to think differently, to act differently, and to live differently towards sin and selfishness. And I know that as we dwell on the resurrection and on the cross, these two events, here's what begins to happen when it, becomes, uh, when it comes to the issues that have had a hold of your life, sin issues. We begin to think less about how to gratify our flesh. And we think more about the Lord and it begins to lose its appeal. We say, oh, I want to know that one that died on the cross and rose again from the grave. So it governs our life. And number three, it gives us power to be overcomers. How many of you are facing a situation that is impossible in the natural realm? You say, there's no human solution to it. There's no medicine. This is unfixable. I mean, you're facing, it may be a relationship. It may be an issue that's going on in your body. And the doctor said, you know what? You're going to have this for the rest of your life. I mean, this, this may, in fact, eventually kill you, whatever. And, and this is it. I want, I, want to, I want to give you some hope here today. The Bible wants to give you some hope that no matter what you're facing, or really, it, it, it helps us, it gives us the power to be overcomers. Romans 8.11 says this, The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. I want you to think about that for a second. The spirit that raised Christ from the grave. How many know that? It was an awesome and an awesome power. He says that spirit that pulled him up 
and, and catapulted him out of the grave. He says, that spirit, if you are his son or his daughter, it lives inside of you. Now, if that is true, and I believe the Bible, the this, this spirit of God that raised Christ from that lives in us, I want you to think of the implications of the Spirit of God, the resurrection power of Jesus Christ living inside of you. What are the possibilities uh, of that happening in your life? Paul, in Ephesians chapter 1, he's praying for the church, and he's saying to her, I want you to see here in Ephesians, he said, you know what? This resurrection power that's in you, he says, I pray that you will understand this incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe in him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. He said, you know what? I don't want you to just believe in this. He says, I want you to encounter this. I want you to experience the resurrection power in your life. And it's possible. And then here in Romans chapter 8, verse 34, I want to read to you one more scripture. It says this, Who can say God's people are guilty? No one. Why? Because Christ Jesus died and he was also raised from the dead and now he is at God's right side appealing to God for us. Other scriptures say he's at God's right hand. He's praying for us. He's interceding for us. Okay, I want to let you know the perfect one without sin. And, and, it, 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 and it's, it's significant. And, and the Bible makes evidence. It says he's seated at the right hand of the Father. What does that mean to be seated at the right hand of the Father? It's a place, folks, of honor, authority, and trust. Jesus earned that place. And so when, when, when he speaks to the Father, the Father listens to him. Okay, now there's people that I know, I mean, like I, I would say, yeah, he's my right-hand man. The reason why he's my right-hand man, because uh, he has a track record, I trust him, he's loyal or whatever, and what, what he tells me I know is the truth. So when Jesus is, is praying on our behalf, and you've been praying to Jesus, okay, something, there's a transaction that is happening. Jesus is praying for you. How many have ever heard the phrase, it's not, it's not what you know, but it's who you know? The right connection. Get connected to Jesus Christ. He's risen. He's alive. He's praying for you. He's interceding for you. So I want to encourage those who are here today, those who are facing tough odds, tough circumstances, don't give up. Keep praying. Jesus is praying on your behalf. A former lawyer, a reporter, and an atheist who became a believer and wrote, the books called The Case for Christ and The Case for Christianity or The Case for Faith. He said this about the resurrection. His name was Lee Strobel. And by the way, this guy who was an atheist and he was a hedonist and and this guy uh, who was brilliant, uh, his wife gets saved, born again. She starts going to church. He's really ticked off about this. He partied with his wife, lived a hedonistic life, and he says, oh man, this really messes up the things. So he made a decision to go ahead and investigate the claims of Christ and the Bible to see if they were true, that if Jesus was who he said he was. And, and he was going through, and, and he was going to go ahead and try to prove to his wife that this is a hoax. This is not true. But the more that he investigated, 
the more he saw that it was absolutely true. And he, and he eventually gave his heart and his life to Jesus. And someone asked him how the cross, what difference did the cross and the resurrection make in your life? And this is what he said. He says that Jesus was resurrected. He says, it gives me hope. And I someday too will be resurrected. It has given me confidence that his teachings, that if I apply them to my life, they will change my life and they will make a difference as they have already have. They're not just the teachings of a bright, loving individual. They're the teachings of God himself. It means to me that Jesus deserves my worship and my allegiance because of the death, burial, and resurrection. It also means to me I want to spend my life helping other people see the evidence for the resurrection and that they too may experience what I've experienced, which is a 180-degree life change from my days as an atheist to my days as a Christian. Thank you, Lee Strobel. Amen. He said it made a difference. He was honest. He checked it out. Absolutely convinced Jesus rose from the grave, repented of his sins, asked Christ to come in his life, and it changed him forever. Surveys show this, that 75% of Americans believe in the resurrection. 75%. But I have a question for those who believe in the resurrection that may not be in church here today, but believe in it. Maybe they made their way to church and they're one of the people that get to church twice a year, Easter and Christmas. And uh, my question is to, to, to the people that, that believe in it, why are you not living your life like you really believe in it? If you really believe it, why hasn't it made an effect on your life? What's going on? And folks, here's a, if, if, if 75% of Americans believed in the resurrection and applied their, uh, their lives to the truths of the scripture, America would be in a lot different place. We'd be a lot better off, okay? But we're way off. What's going on? I want to tell you, there's, there's people that they have a very sincere belief in God and they think that's good enough. And that's going to be good enough to get them to heaven. And there's a question, by the way, that I'm going to pose to you. And this question that I'm going to pose to you, I've asked literally to thousands of people. And it's this question. Is, I, I feel it. In fact, it's two questions. I consider them the most important questions in life. And here it is. If you were to die today, would you know for absolute certainty, beyond a shadow of a doubt, you go to heaven? Now, there's only three answers to that question. Yes, no, or I'm not sure. Now, I've asked that question. Here's, here's what I invariably get back most of the time. Yes. And I says, can I ask you one more question? And here's my follow-up question. Uh, hypothetically, if you were to die today and God was to say to you, why should I let you into my heaven? What would you say? And here's what I hear about 70% of the time. I believe in God. Oh, really? And then the other, uh, and then the, uh, other people say, well, I believe in God and I'm a good person. Oh, okay. So, you're, so what you're saying is, if you if you have, you you would say to God, well, God, I really believe in you, and I'm a good person. That's what it takes to get to heaven. Well, yeah. And I and I and then I I says, can I just take a couple moments and explain something to you? Uh, I have some bad news. 
uh, uh, I, uh, first of all, I get some good news, I get some bad news, and I get some good news. And the good news here is because there's people here in this room that answered the question. If you were to die today, and you felt, yeah, I feel like I would make it to heaven, and you feel like you would make it to heaven because you believe in God and you're a good person. And let me share with you the good news. The Bible says, for the, for the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The Bible also declares, for by grace, unmerited favor, are, you are saved okay, through faith, and that not of yourself. It's a gift of God, not of your works, lest any man should boast. So there are people in this room, you're, you're thinking of your life, you're hoping that you're, you're, you're going to be good enough that, that if, if, you know, I've done more good than bad, it's a balanced scale, and, and the good outweighs the bad, and God sees that I believe in Him, and, and I've done more good than I've done bad, that, that God's going to let me into the pearly gates, and I'm going to be with Him forever. And the Bible says it is a gift. Now here's the bad news. You will never be good enough to get into heaven based upon your good deeds. Because if you are putting your faith, okay, in what you've done, okay, what was the purpose of that? What you're saying to God that, okay, that what he did was not good enough. A lot of people I ask them, say, what did Jesus die on the cross? Well, for our sins. Okay, our good deeds don't get rid of our sins. It's repenting and putting our faith in the blood of Jesus Christ that was spilled on the cross and on the ground for us. Now here, let me go back to the good news. It's a gift. You receive it. You just receive it. God, I put my faith. The Bible says if we confess Jesus Christ as Lord and believe that God raised him from the dead, we'll be saved. And so to believe is literally to put your trust and put your faith in him. Now, I asked you a question. What was, what was the event or events that literally changed the trajectory of your life? You said, I, I, it was an about face for me. I mean, when that, I, can I just take you back a few years? Given a gift. In 1977, a Christmas gift. Open it up. A Bible. From my mother. Are you kidding me? I, I put a smile on my th- face. Thanks, Mom. That's nice, you know. You know, and uh, and uh, a Bible, you know. And, and, and I, be honest with you, I, you know, here I was a religious person going to church every Sunday. Can I just tell you? By the way, you can be the most religious person going through the rit- rituals, talking to God. I had conversation, religious but not right. Trust me, that's a lot of people religious, but and so I get. I, I begin to read it. Doesn't make sense to me. I, I'm kind of like confused, and I close it up. And my mom calls me up, and she says, "Mike, you've been reading the Bible that I gave to you." And I says, "Well, I I did a little bit, but not now." And so, and she says, "Can I just?" And I, and I told her, "I said it's kind of confusing. I don't really understand. I'm in the book of Genesis, and and there's some questions that are going on in my mind." And she said, "Just go ahead, go to the New Testament, and read about Jesus." And she's just a young believer. She's young in the Lord herself. I saw how God had radically transformed her life. She said, just pray. Say, God, show me what I need to know about you and about myself. And so I did. I I just said, God, I believed that the Bible was God's word. And I said, God, just show me what I need to, to know. I'm reading it. I'm going through chapter by chapter. And 
each chapter that I'm going through, I'm getting more convicted and I'm seeing, I'm looking at the words of Jesus and how I'm living my life and I'm saying, there's such a contradiction right here and I'm going, I said, here, I'm, and it was like God's face was right there on the, on the pages. It was like God said, Mike, even though you believe in me, you're not right with me. And I thought because I was a good person and I was going to church and I believed in him, I was right. But God says, no, you're not right with me. You're wicked. You're selfish. And God began just to point me. I mean, he told me the truth of what my spiritual condition. A good doctor will do that. If you got cancer, okay, he's not going to tell you that you have a cold. No, a good doctor would tell you what's going on. And God was a good physician. He says, Mike, you're not right with me. And I remember I closed my Bible right there at that point, And I got on my knees. And for the first time in my life, it was a sincere prayer that said, God, forgive me, Lord. I am sorry what I've done against you, other people, and myself. And Lord, I accept you into my life. Come in and, and change me, Lord. And it was there in that moment, in that instant, for the first time in my life, it was my very first real encounter with Jesus. I felt the peace and the joy I want to that that literally changed the course of my life. I had no idea. And I came to that place where Jesus prayed there in the garden. Lord, it's not my will, but your will be done. Folks, I'm here today because of Jesus. I stand here before you because of Jesus. It's the best. His kindness showed me I needed him. It's led me to repentance. It's his kindness that leads us to repent and turn from our sinful ways. The cross. That's where our old life can end. But it's the tomb, the empty tomb. It's where our new life can begin. Jesus wants you to come to the cross. Bring your sins there. But he also wants you to visit the grave. It says, this is where I'm at right now. I'm alive. Let's pray. This is a moment of truth. Would you close your eyes for just a moment? The Holy Spirit is speaking to people here in this room. And you are feeling something inside of you that's pulling on you that's calling you to leave your life of sin, your life of foolishness, leave, leave your life that's, that's stubbornly opposed to God's ways. And it's, you feel something, you say, I, I, I want to leave this. And I want to go to this Jesus, this resurrected Jesus. I, wa- I want him in my life. I, re- I recognize I'm not right with him here today. I've trusted in the wrong thing. I've trusted in myself. I've trusted in a religion or a denomination. And and, and today I want to trust in Jesus. It's Jesus alone that saves us. There's no other name found under heaven by which man should be saved. It's Jesus alone. If you would like to receive Jesus as your Savior, you would like to encounter the risen one here today. I'm going to count to three when I count to three. I'm not going to embarrass you, but I just want to pray with you. I want you to lift your hand up high, and we're going to pray together as a church, and we're going to ask the Lord to come into our lives and to change us. When I count to three, just raise your hand. That's, that's the time, and, and, and that's our signal saying, and we're saying yes 
to Jesus. Yes to God. One, two, three. Raise your hand. That's you. You say, I want to give my life to Jesus. Thank you. I want to give my life to God here today. Thank you. Thank you for your honesty right here. God bless you. Is there anybody else? Say, I want to give my life to Jesus. <coughs> Thank you, Lord. Oh, man. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Anybody else? This, the Holy Spirit. I, know, I, I, I just want to just give it one, just another second here. I want to give my life to Jesus. Raise your hand, and we're going to pray. Anybody else? For those who raised their hand, just raise your hands up again one more time. And Calvary, let's pray along with them. Would you just follow me? Say, Dear Jesus, I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. I believe that you rose from the grave. I ask you, Jesus, to forgive me. I ask you to change me. I embrace you today, Lord, as my Savior and the Lord and the leader of my life. Thank you that you love me. I love you today, Jesus. I give you my life. I trust in you. Thank you, Jesus, for dying for me. In your name I pray. Amen. Amen. Would you stand to your feet here this morning, Calvary? One more prayer with eyes closed. Would you allow me just to pray a prayer to the person who's discouraged, who's given up? There's been an area of your life that you've just given up and you said there's no hope. And God is saying to you, he says, I want you to come back and visit the grave, the empty tomb, not just the cross. I want you to come back to the, I want you to come back to the grave, the empty grave, the empty tomb. And I want you to see that your situation is not impossible, that all things are possible to them that will believe. And so would you just raise your hand here today for those who are facing impossible situations? And you say, I'm asking God to come and intervene. I'm asking Him to come and touch my body. I'm asking Him to, to set me free. Set me free from a, an addiction, from a sin issue, whatever it may be. I'm asking God to come. I want that resurrection power to be alive in me. Father, I pray today. As Paul prayed, Lord, for the Ephesian church. Lord, I pray that power that raised you from the... From the grave, that resurrection power, Lord, would raise up brothers and sisters, Lord God, to a place of healing, wholeness, and victory, Lord. Lord, where it will glorify you. Lord, I pray for bodies, Lord, that are in pain, that you died for, that you went to the cross for. The stripes, Lord, that were applied to your backs. Healings and miracles in Jesus' name. Bodies that are in pain, be made well in the name of Jesus. Diseases that are in bodies, I command in the name of Jesus to leave. And Lord, I pray, God, there, 
there's, there's someone here today. You're in a relationship with your spouse and it's over. Can I just pray for you? And you say, there's no hope. But would you just, with eyes closed for just one moment, can I just pray over you? Can, hey, hey, girls, can you stop that? If that is you, would you just raise your hand? Okay, thank you. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray that you, Lord, would come and reveal yourself, Lord, to couples, Lord, who marriages are on the rocks who are walking, God, that are drawing up papers right now. I'm asking, God, for a supernatural resurrection miracle. In Jesus' name, I pray. Now, Lord, I thank you for this day. We love you, Jesus. Bless everyone here. Bless their families. Bless their lives. I ask this in Jesus' name. And everyone said... Have a great day. God bless you, my friends.